If you're snacking on anything but tasty cake, you're making a huge Miss Cake. A fistful of chocolate-covered raisins? Miss Cake. A spoonful of peanut butter? Bigger Miss Cake. Or the worst Miss Cake of all, your kid's Halloween candy. And it's May. If it's not tasty cake, it's a Miss Cake. Because nothing satisfies like a perfectly sweet butterscotch crimpet. Or rich and creamy chocolate peanut butter candy cake. Tasty Cake. Accept no substitutes. The mighty Atlantic 10 Conference. The call's on him. Five seconds to go. Charlotte Clough gathers for the win. Talk podcast presented by Get Trending Productions. And welcome back to the A10 Talk podcast. I am your host, Chris Pyle, and I am with the usual suspects on A10 Talk. We are with Anthony Morelli and Daniel Frank. So, gentlemen, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, Chris. St. Joe's wins for the first time. We take down LaSalle, and A10 Talk has another chance to take LaSalle down for the second time this week. So I'm really excited. It's a good week of basketball, that's for sure. And I am extremely happy. GW Basketball is back for the first time in like 36 days. They got the W, and Mason pulling that out of their ass, beating VCU, that came out of nowhere. So I, I am doing great, Chris. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, basically, right after the A10 exploded with their own news, uh, the players decided to say, hold my beer, because uh, we had a full slate, first time we've had a full slate in a long time, and by full, I mean, uh, obviously, UMass and Fordham did not play, but it, w- it was kind of like, it had that full slate of A10 feel, you know? And not only that, but out four out of the six games ended up with an upset. So we're going to get right into it, gentlemen, with our game recaps. We're going to recap all the games that happened on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, we're not going to do too long, but um, we're going to just get right into it and talk about, you know, the effects of all these games. So let's start with Friday 10, gentlemen, with uh, Dayton pulling out a... 76 to 53 win over the St. Louis Billikens on Jalen Crutcher's senior night, along with Evie Watson, Rodney Chapman, Jordy Chimonga, and Cameron Greer. Uh, walk on guy who's been with the program for a while. So shout out him. Um, it was just, I don't know. I usually I try to think about all the things that you know affect this win, you know, like like the last Lou win, like right, like 
many Dayton fans, including myself, were a little bit upset because, you know, we had lost to Fordham, we lost to LaSalle, and all of a sudden they're going to go and beat St. Louis in St. Louis. Like, how dare you, right? <laughs> and kind of like bring our hopes back up. But I don't know. It, at this point in the year, I'm just kind of like happy that the seniors got a win on their senior night, especially coming off of a, a very bad a bad loss to Rhode Island the other night. Rhode Island's not a bad team, but I mean, they were up by 18, so they should have won that game. So yeah, it's a bad loss. Um, but I mean, Jalen Crutcher had a great senior night, 19 points. Uh, didn't shoot well from three, but uh, he shot 10 for 11 from the free throw line, which is pretty great. Uh, Rodney Chapman had a great game, nine points. Evie had a 14-point game. Uh, Jordy, eight points. Mustafa Amzo finally got back uh on track. He was, he scored 10 points, two for three for three. Um, so it's actually just, it, I feel like the night ended up being more about Dayton just because, you know, it was their senior night and it just felt like that from a fan standpoint, but obviously the bigger implications here are St. Louis. They were pretty much on that last four in or first four out status with Joe Lenardi, same thing on bracket matrix. And this you know, losing at Dayton and the grand spectrum of things with the net is just a quad two loss, but it's a loss by 23 points to a team that's 84 on Kempom. So now they're 73, but still. Um, so even though it felt more like about Dayton, it definitely felt it definitely is a lot more telling about St. Louis and you know what the committee might think about the first loss to Dayton and you know, it's just really hard now to know where does SLU go from here. So gentlemen, I'll start with Anthony here. What are you, I said a lot on this game. I don't want to say too much more, but what are your takes on this? So I think you hit a lot of great points. This is really about Dayton coming out and hitting St. Louis on the face for the first like five minutes of the game. If you look at the score, they go up by like 10 points within the first few minutes of the game. And then St. Louis comes back a little bit, but really Dayton puts all the pressure on St. Louis. I don't know what they were thinking defensively. And first of all, Dayton shoots 50% from the field. You can't, you're not going to win a game if you let the other team do that. And the other thing I'm thinking of is, did St. Louis settle for too many threes to shoot 31 threes in the game? They average only 20 a game. Are you settling on your way down the court? What was the game plan? You're supposed to be the best team in the conference, and you look timid versus Dayton now. Dayton looks like the hottest team in the conference all of a sudden after this win, of course. But I don't know if you're St. Louis, you got to come out with a better strategy than that. You can't just be flat coming out against a really solid Dayton team. Yeah. And you know, what's funny about that 50% shooting is uh, going into that game. St. Louis was number 25 in the country in defending the two Dayton shot 60% from two and 36 from three. Like they shot about their average from three, but they were so good from two that they got everything they wanted in the paint. So it was just really interesting that a gr good defensive team like SLU in the paint uh, couldn't couldn't stop anything. Yeah, and we but, got we can't sell short how good St. Louis has been on defense. When I was researching the piece about uh, the VCU, St. Louis, and St. Bonaventure, we wrote it. You looked at VCU, St. Louis is like not too far behind them in de net defensive rating and defensive efficiency. And for them to come out, like, like, let's not sell short that St. Louis is supposed to be a good defensive team. Yeah. Uh, 
they they are and they don't look like it right now at least i mean it was just one game but it was they looked atrocious uh daniel what about you what do you think about that game i mean to me the biggest thing that really stands out about this is no single st louis player got in double figures um which is astounding to me i mean they're their biggest performer um had eight points um and that was hargrove jr terrence hargrove jr um i mean talk about like the guys that they've really been relying on yuri collins had three hassan french had six i mean even the guys that were like their quote-unquote bigger scorers of the night such as it was um were incredibly inefficient i mean javante perkins was two of 14 to get to seven points jordan goodwin was three of 16 to get to seven points i mean that's terrible numbers yeah, then no one, no one other than Martin Linson had an offensive rating above 100. <laughs> and Martin Linson played 14 minutes with six points. Like he had a decent, I mean, for him, it's a good game. But I mean, everyone else, offensive rating was just terrible. <laughs> Let me see here. But yeah, um, yeah, this just means a lot to Slew's resume. Um, you know, I mean, it's a quad two loss, but they kind of did it. They kind of needed this win to kind of prove that the game earlier against Dayton was kind of a fluke because of their COVID buy. Um, you know, they they beat LaSalle, right? They hammered LaSalle. They kind of wiped away that loss earlier. But now you now the committee could actually question it. Like I think everyone in the A10 community knows, like, okay, St. Louis was definitely really rusty in that first game. But the committee doesn't know that. What is the committee watching? Not the A10. They're gonna look at the resume that's plopped down on their desk on selection Sunday and make a decision. They're gonna say, Oh, they lost to Dayton twice and they lost to LaSalle once. You know, they're not gonna really worry about COVID and all that shit. So that's what I, that's the most, that's probably what I'm most worried about St. Louis. Like they're a very talented team, but like when the resume pop plops down on the desk in Indianapolis in a couple weeks, you know what? It doesn't really matter what the context was. It's just, doesn't. it just matters if that committee member thinks they're good enough to make the field of 68. Um, anyone want to chip in on that? I was the other thought I had is I feel like St. Louis is kind of putting the conference in a really weird position because I mean, I think St. Louis is not sunk yet. I don't think anyone is sunk. I don't even think Richmond sunk yet. That said, I think St. Louis is only way back at this point is if they sink someone else because they're going to the last three games, VCU, Richmond and UMass. So, I mean, UMass obviously doesn't have an at large hope, but if they went out, I think they probably like, I think St. Louis will do enough to get themselves back in. But at what cost to the rest of the league? I mean, I worry that if VCU drops a second in a row, that might sink them. Um, if Richmond drops one to St. Louis, that might be enough to keep them out. I mean, I I, I feel we're we're kind of inching away from three bid territory. I'm not saying it's over. Um, I have a bet with I have a bet with uh, Brian by George that the uh, we get three bids in and whoever loses has to buy the other guy tacos. So I'm firmly holding on that still, but <laughs> it's it's getting a little hairy now. Yeah. Um, you know, it's crazy. Uh, you said about Richmond and I don't want to get too off topic, but 
I the only reason they're still considered is because they're win over Loyola Chicago. Like I hope everyone realizes that. Like Loyola Chicago is the real deal. They're number one defense in the country. They're sitting at eleven in the net, and not only did Richmond beat them, but he beat them on a neutral court. I mean, they didn't just like beat him at beat him at the Robin Center, right? Like they beat him on a neutral court in Indianapolis. So uh, that win is looking better and better and better every single day. So and the Kentucky one at least is looking marginally better now that Kentucky is inching their way back in. They've have a, had a couple wins decently over like Tennessee and whatnot. So I'm hoping that Kentucky win matures a little bit, which is a weird thing to have to say, but <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, Kentucky's sitting at 64 in the net. So and that would I mean that'll be a quad one win no matter what, be- as long as Kentucky doesn't like lose to Vanderbilt or something like that, because I mean 64 in the net for them. You need to be one through 75 uh, if you're the road team to win that. So that's looking good every day too. So Richmond, keep it keep it going. Um, but we're going to move on here because we spent a lot of time on this Dayton Slough game. But uh, we're going to move on to the second upset and second one in a row of the weekend. It was St. Joe's beating LaSalle for their first win in overtime. Uh, 91 to 82. So shout out to all the over betters. You hit it easily. Probably. Um, I really didn't see a lot of this game, so I'm not going to comment on it. The only thing I saw was the, (laughs) the play in regulation by Jordan Hall to tie it. And I just sat there and I said, LaSalle just Dayton's that entire last possession on defense. And I laughed really hard, but I was also happy because I knew Anthony was probably really pumped that his team won. So without further ado, I'm just going to turn it over to Anthony. What do you think about that game? My, oh my, oh my, what a game, what a win. Felt so great. Weight lifted off my shoulders. Billy Lang, I'm, I love you. And Jordan Hall, I love you even more. Wow. The awareness, Jordan Hall to have that kind of awareness as a freshman to grab a rebound, run down the court and score a basket and put it against the backboard. See, that was the brilliant thing. He put it against the backboard, said, you can't touch this. It's going in and you can't touch it. And it worked. And it, my friends and I were texting each other. We were so in despair uh, with a minute to go. It did not look good. We were down and Kimbrough's at the free throw line or no, it's Sharif Kenny at the free throw line, I believe. And my friends are, t- we're done. We're cooked. And I go, there's still a chance. There's still a chance. And sure enough, they missed the free throw. LaSalle looks flat footed. No one picks up Paul as he runs down the court. And he just gets to the rim. No problem. He's so athletic. The other thing I want to mention, I really do think LaSalle could have won this game if one coach Howard was not ejected because in overtime, <laughs> they, o- they only scored three points. Without your leader, without your coach, you're dead in the water. And so I think not having coach Ashley Howard out there really affected LaSalle. And the other thing that I want to mention is that I think LaSalle messed up and could have done to win the game is they were doing an effective three-quarter press the entire game. They were trapping St. Joe's with the ball in our side of the court every time we brought it up. Yes, uh, Jordan Hall's a brilliant passer, but he's very prone to turnovers. And if you trap him in the half court, you can't get the, he will turn the ball over. And LaSalle was doing that brilliantly for the first half and they walked away from it. I don't know why I wasn't in the press briefing afterwards, but that would have been the first question I asked Coach Howard. Why'd you stop doing the defensive strategy that worked? Well, Unfortunately, they didn't continue with it. St. Joe's wins. It was great. And Ryan Daly returned. I'm burying the lead. Ryan Daly. Whew, what a magician. He's great. 
just great feelings all around. It was everything. If you ever wonder what big five basketball is like, that's what it's like. <laughs> you know what? I, I did not look at the box score for this game until just before we got on here. I did not know Jordan Hall had a triple double. Oh, like yeah. that's mm-hmm. incredible. And you know what? And you've been high on him. I've been high on him a little bit too, because, uh, when I was answering a, a fan question early on in the season, they, someone asked about rookies of the year and I, I was kind of dumbfounded. I'm like, I can name some rookies, but I don't know if they're having good seasons. So I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, why don't I look up like who the rookies of the week are? And I think like one of the first ones of the year was Jordan Hall. So you got a bright spot in that kid. And I hope he doesn't transfer or anything like that. Oh, don't I mean, say it. Don't, 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 don't <laughs> not, say anything. Knock on wood. Right. But yeah. I yeah, just want to say that, this one thing, Chris. Really good. He went yeah. from not handling the ball at all in the beginning of the year, at all, and all, now he's the lead ball handler. And we paid the price this year without having Ryan Daly. That's why we weren't very good. But through that pain, we got a new ball handler, Jordan Hall. And I think, I tweeted this out today, if he was not, if we did not have the COVID pause and he had more time to play like he is right now, this time of the season, he would be a legitimate A-10 rookie of the year. Unfortunately, he just hasn't played those many games. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Daniel, you have any thoughts on this one? The one thing that hasn't been said yet is we did, you mentioned Ryan Daly came back in his first game. It was like at least a month. He dropped 30 points. I mean, it's not like this dude just came back. Like, yeah, had 10 points, blah, blah, blah. He had 30 points. Like it's impressive stuff. He, he is like my favorite now. Like I, I'm a Dayton fan and he's like my favorite a 10 player. And it's, I just, I, I look, I was looking up highlights for him the other day and, um, and you know, he's got the Davidson shot, but I keep posting this cause it's so funny. He had a shot last year against St. Louis where he shot the three and then he does like a thrust and he keeps his hand up. And I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And I'm like, wow, find a shot that has more drip than that one. So now that's how I came up with Dr. Drip. That's how he's now a 10 He's a nominee for the A-10 talkie for dad of the year coming up in the offseason. So stay tuned for that. Um, so, yeah, dude, he's he's also basically now king of A-10 talk. So uh, shout out to him. But uh, good job, Anthony. You got you guys got the win. You got to gloat over your parents. That's awesome. Um, we are going to move on to the next game. It wasn't really an upset, but it was a close one. Uh, we had Richmond beating Duquesne. By the score of 79 to 72. I saw most of this game. Uh, I try and watch all the games just so everyone knows. Like I do watch all the games. I do have other things that sometimes pop up in the way that I don't get to watch all of it. But usually if I have my phone, I will put on the game. Um, but uh, Duquesne really didn't look too rusty. Um, they, I mean, they're not that good of a three-point shooting team anyway. But they shot really well from two. Uh, Michael Hughes had a good game. Uh you know, I think we got the full t- uh, TDM experience there in that game. But uh, I think the story here was really Richmond. How are they going to respond to the the loss against VCU? Because they could have won that game. Absolutely should have, could have won that game. Um, but we've kind of seen teams throughout the year, uh, especially St. Louis, come back from their second game and still lose. So it was really, is Richmond still rusty? You know, they got through their first game, they lost, but are they going to lose another one, you know? 
And Duquesne's a good team. I mean, seven and seven and six and six in the conference um, is kind of a, it, it's a mysterious number because they, on paper, they probably don't look that great by record and stuff like that, but uh, they're a very formidable opponent. So I'm glad that Richmond didn't take them lightly, but um, yeah, all the starters uh, scoring double figures. Um, they shot really well from two 69% just a, a really good game by them way to finish it off. That's kind of what a good experienced veteran team should do. Um, so Anthony, what did you think about this game? So <clears throat> I, we're, we're today we're in a lot of agreement and for me, it's Richmond. If you, if, if you didn't even watch the game, you put, you scrolled on the play by play, you'll notice that Richmond really controlled the game the entire time. Never gave up the lead. Always had a comfortable lead over Duquesne. I think it was like one or two times later in the game that Duquesne does come back and covers like a 14 or 13 point deficit. However, Richmond does what they're supposed to do. If we want to talk all day about Richmond having that quality Kentucky win or having a quality win over Chicago Loyola. Well, when you play Duquesne, you got to play them comfortably and you got to take, take them seriously. Look at St. Louis. They, I don't want to say they didn't take Dayton seriously, but if you come out flat footed, They'll take advantage of you. Richmond didn't. They controlled the game in the tempo for majority of the, of the of the game, and they come out with a win. It's a little closer than you would want to hope for Richmond, but Duquesne's a good team. You can't take them lightly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm. There's not much more to say about this game. I mean, Richmond just kind of showed like they're not they're not ready to go down. You know, they're not ready to uh, call it quits on their on their year, as far as an at-large bid, we've talked about, you know, some of the two of the best wins in the conference this year are by them. So, you know, their losses to Hofstra and LaSalle, you know, I mean, they're bad, but they're kind of mitigated now just because of the, their two huge quad one wins. So, uh, but they do need another win to kind of put them back into the bubble a little bit. Um, according to at least our, our friend of the podcast, Joe Lenardi, but uh, we're going to move on to the third upset of the weekend, which was George Mason. They beat VCU in the Siegel Center for the second year in a row in overtime, 79-76. I did see all this game. It was awesome. I mean, just – and by awesome, VCU fans, I mean that it was a really good game. Okay, this was this was an a vintage, you know, like a ten basketball game. You know, you had great lockdown defense. You had some really good, outstanding uh, offensive performances. Like Josh Odura, what a guy! He was also play a ten player of the week uh, this this week that was announced today. But had a great game, uh, twenty seven points. Jordan Miller, Javon Green. I've been watching Mason this year, so I can talk to Petey a lot about it. And I've, I've been kind of mad because I feel like Jordan Miller and Javon green are a lot better than what they've shown all year. And they finally proved it. Um, I thought Dave Paulson's entire strategy, this game was outstanding. Like they they kind of took, so, and I, I kind of, uh, thought about this as the game was going along. But Herb Brooks and Miracle said uh, when they were discussing the strategy to beat the Soviets, right? 
he said, we're going to take, we're going to take their game and we're going to shove it right back in their face. And that's what I thought Mason did. Like they were starting to do pressure defense, full court pressure. And you saw it with the Javon green steel in the layup. And he did that like twice. Um, they were really pressuring the ball on VCU's half court offense. It was, it was incredible to watch. And I, you got to give a lot of credit to Dave Paulson. Like Many times this year, and I know I'm going on a tangent here, but I feel like Mason fans deserve it. I I thought many times this year watching Mason that they had a good game plan, and I sit there and I go, you got this, Mason. You got this. Just keep doing what you're doing. And then they don't keep doing what they're doing, and I, I get where the frustration is because, you know, why are you going away with what works? Whereas this game, they found something that worked, and they hammered it and hammered it and hammered it, and it ended up getting them a win. Um, so I know I was harping a lot on Mason here. Uh, and not harping, but you know what I mean. Um, but I do want to talk about VCU just a little bit, a couple tidbits. Uh, Bones Highlands could be fine, guys. He, he'll he be okay. He might be out for a little bit, but you don't need to win the slew game. You're going to be fine in the in the bracket regardless. This I'm surprised that this game did not hurt VCU as much as it did. But... Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say about VCU other than, you know, bones is going to be fine. It's just one bad loss. Uh, it's their first bad loss of the year and everyone's kind of has one, right? So, uh, not too really worried about VCU. They're still one of the top three teams in the conference. That's all I have to say about them. But Daniel, George Mason fan, George Mason student, George Mason writer, give me your comments takes and all that for this game so the the weirdest thing is at the back of our minds we all kind of knew at least in the mason community that this is what this team was capable of the problem is they never ever show it i mean i remember tweeting their second game of the year i think it was was it the belmont game i don't even remember what it was anymore because they they looked like shit in the opener against Queens. I mean, they almost blew it to a D2 school. And then they come out in the second game, they go off like 13 points up or something, and then they just stopped. And I but like while they were in their run, I was tweeting like, "Oh my god, this is why we were so frustrated last night because this is what they're capable of." And then they stopped doing what they were supposed to be doing and then it all fell apart. And it was nice to finally see them like not go away from the good thing they were doing. Like, like Mason guys are tweeting like at halftime, like, Oh yeah. Watch like Paulson, like pull some crap. And like, you know, like, Oh, he'll, he'll put a stop to all the good things we're doing immediately. And, but like, the thing is like, they actually like, it blows my mind. They actually like did the easy thing and like taking advantage of like where they had matchups, like Josh Oduro, like he's been building to this the entire season and arguably his whole career. But like, they finally went to him and they would do it reliably. Like I have been begging for months, like just give the ball to this guy. And they finally did it. And like, even like the final possession, like VCU went and took like a two point lead or something with like 50 seconds left. And it's like, all right, big possession here. We're probably going to screw it up. Ah, it was fun. They just go in the, like they, they start to run a play. Jordan Miller brings it off to the wing, gets stuck. He just dumps it to Ordura on the post. He just goes to work and gets an easy bucket. It's like, this is not rocket science. Like if you look at Mason's like end of like game possessions and stuff from like the last several games that have been close, like the UMass one and whatnot, their, their situational basketball is terrible because they try to do something crazy with it. 
You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just give it to the guy in the post that has 27 points and let him shoot a layup. And that's what they did. And they won. It was brilliant. And the crazy thing too is this isn't just like a one-off. They've won three out of four out of the last four at the Seagull Center. Who does that? Like this is the one team that Mason evidently can beat. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of funny. You know, VCU kind of has these two teams now that, they struggle against no matter what year and it's Rhode Island. And now you can kind of say George Mason. So is this the biggest win George Mason has had since joining the Atlantic 10? <laughs> uh, I don't know. This is a real it, question for you, Daniel. I mean, I'm trying to think last year was last year's VCU team better than this year's VCU team. Cause last I feel like last team. Oh, hell no. Okay. I, I can't even remember. It feels like a lifetime ago, March of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, of a, when I can say with certainty was better than this one. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Guys, look, look it up. Cause if this is the biggest win George Mason has had since coming to the conference, congratulations, Daniel, I feel very happy for you. Maybe you don't need Phil Martelli. We can well, let, <laughs> we can let him go to Fordham. Um, I, was I mean, really- Dave Paulson gets one more year anyway because that's his contract and Mason ain't firing him. So, I mean, it'd be nice that it, even if he's going into a lame duck year to not have the team be completely ass. I mean, I will say, so the, the, the one I can really think of, and this is the one that I, and I'll call my, I'll call my own team out, but it was two years ago when George Mason won on the road at Dayton and basically shattered their at-large chances. Yeah, that was when Mason started the year seven and one and was in first place in Atlantic 10. And then uh, that was, oh yeah, 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 and yeah, an Atlantic Ten play. Yep, you're right. And they beat Bonaventure at home that year. I mean, Bonaventure wasn't that good that year, but yeah, Dayton was 62 in Ken Palm that year. So winning on the road there, uh, yeah, that was that was honestly that's probably this VC this win is probably bigger just because where Mason kind of was, we didn't really know what they were, you know, like they're, they just seemed like the team that was going to beat all the teams below them and lose all the teams above them. Well, they just beat the first place team and kind of screwed it up uh, at least for the conference standings. But yeah, that point taken, Anthony. And watch them go lose to GW on Wednesday. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just to go full Mason. Yeah. yeah. Really so a conflict, an inner con- conflict for Daniel. <laughs> Right. This has yeah. been something that I've been getting crap for literally for years, this whole GW Mason thing. So the funny thing is, I was never a Mason fan my entire life until I applied there. And then I was like, I mean, I guess I kind of like it. And I looked at other schools and didn't find anything else I liked. I mean, so I was like, all right, I'll go there. And then I was like, well, I kind of feel morally obligated to root for the school that I'm paying a crap ton of money to. <laughs> so I started rooting for Mesa over GW, but it's, I mean, I've literally been going to GW basketball games since I was two months old and I've had season tickets my entire life. So it's, I, I wrote a piece for A10 Talk, like, I want to say probably four years ago now, it was like Daniel's identity crisis or whatever. And I wrote about it. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of funny, but yeah. Um. So one thing I want to ask though, uh, so George Mason now ends the season uh, against George Washington and LaSalle. If they win both of those, um, where do they, let's see, where do they finish in the conference? They would finish eight, that and, would be six. eight and six, eight and six. Okay. So, which is ironically and, where Dayton is presently. Yeah, I know. That's, that's, what's crazy about that. Um, and Dayton is sitting at six in the conference, I think, but 
we'll look at the seedings a little later, I guess. But yeah, let's move on in the recaps before we get off on a tangent because we will talk later about the seedings. Um, we're going to get into Daniel's uh, next favorite game, which was the final upset and the fourth one of the weekend, which was George Washington opening up Sunday morning with a 78 to 70 win over the Rhode Island Rams. Um, basically I, I watched all this game. Uh, James Bishop, like didn't skip a beat 28 points, you know, it, he's quietly the second leading scorer in the a 10. Um, and it's pretty impressive just coming in, uh, and just kind of rocking the a 10. I mean, George Washington obviously has a lot of work to do, but like, he's a very good staple along with Jameson battle also scored 26 points. Uh, Ricky Lindo, 11 points, uh, kind of quietly too. Cause like, I, I really, you, most of the game when I watched it, you just heard James Bishop and Jameson battle all the time, but Ricky Lindo, a little 11 points, 10 rebounds, pretty good game. Uh, but Rhode Island, they're, they're easily, we, I feel like we go back and forth on this team a lot. And there's a couple teams like them, like Dayton and LaSalle and St. Louis can kind of be in that category now uh, where you have no clue, like at any given night, they can lose to any team or they can beat any team. It It's absolutely incredible. So Daniel, what do you, what are your takes on this one? Well, you know, the, the first thing from looking at the box score and watching it, Rhode Island honestly didn't play like, play that bad truthfully like fats wrestle had a career day in assists he had 10 assists like it's not like gw just caught on this like roadie team that was like sleeping and like played like dog shit like roadie played halfway decently i mean i was texting uh my buddy before the game being like look first gw game in like over a month i gotta kind of like level the expectations here we're probably gonna get pummeled like you know thinking of like the louisville game that was the day before which was their first game in like two weeks they lost by 50 I'm like, I really just hope GW doesn't do that bad. And, like, they start off, like, 8-2. And I'm like, okay, well, that was nice. And then, like, Rhodey goes on a little bit of a run. And it's like, ah, oh, well, you know, oh, well. But they kept sticking with it was the thing. And I, it was, like, waiting for the other shoe to drop. And, like, Rhodey, I think, started the second half on a run again. And, like, they got up by, like, eight points or something. And <laughs> my buddy texted me, like, well, Cinderella lost her slipper. Oh, well. I was like, I mean, they're not dead yet. <laughs> It was just one of those games where, like, kind of they just hung around and hung around, and then they casually ended the game on a 15-2 to two run. I mean, one of my biggest things that I really liked from this game and I really want to see more of, I think he's an underrated name, and I tweet about it during the game, is Noel Brown. He is a freshman. He played 20 minutes. He had eight, uh, eight points and four rebounds, three assists. He's got a nice build because that's one of the things that GW has been missing the last couple of years is just a reliable big man. They've had a revolving door there this year. They had Chase Pargo through there, and he's currently out with COVID protocol still. Day-to-day, hopefully get him back soon. Sloan Seymour started in that role today, but or not today, but yesterday. Had a terrible game, really. Like It was not a good game for him at all. But Noel Brown just is starting to grow into that role yet. He's not all the way there yet. His conditioning is still not completely there. And that, you know, to expect after COVID pause of extended length. But, I mean... I'm just starting to see some pieces come together for this GW team that everyone's still trying to rag on. Look, I, I'm getting faith in them now. Like, I'm not saying they're going to win the A-10 tournament this year. Though, I mean, given the A-10 this year, who the hell knows? 
But I will say I, I am honestly as optimistic about GW basketball as I have been since 2016. And I genuinely think in the next two years, they could be back in the top seven of the conference, at least. That's a hot take, but. That's top half. So like, that's not, that's not unrealistic though, because like, that's kind of where you want to be in the conference, right? You want to be in like that top half region. And I know there's some teams, like I know my own club thinks, you know, they want to be in the top four or, you know, be winning it and have a shot to win it every single year, which the, I, I kind of agree with that a little bit. Um, but there's definitely some schools that should have the realistic idea that, you know, our goal should be to finish top half or like if they're, if they have a really young team is like, okay, our goal should be, you know, to not finish in the bottom four and to not play on Wednesday night. So I, I mean, GW is probably going to play in the Wednesday night games, but but this is very encouraging to see uh, for a Rhode Island team that is kind of a wild card. You don't know what they're going to get from them every night. So, uh, Anthony, what what about you? So, is it official that David Cox is on the hot seat after this loss? <laughs> I mean, I don't. You know, probably man. prepared too much for you to watch Nave. I don't know. I yeah, the, you know what? That's what, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but like, you're right. Yeah, I I don't know this off season was super weird for that program and to have pretty much everyone leave except fats. Uh, you got to question some stuff, but you know, it, we'll, we'll see. I don't, I don't really know, but it, it's such a weird year because they basically that whole squad probably should be redshirting this year, maybe except a couple. So um, I could totally see this, squad actually being a lot better next year i know they're losing shepherd and fats but they're also bringing back you know the two mitchell guys their ishmael legge looks really good um and he's a freshman so they got some pieces though they should finish top top half of the conference every year for sure this year it might not happen but uh yeah go ahead though yeah so i'm just gonna add to the whole so i don't think he should be on the hot seat like this is why i'm bringing it up oh okay because of what you just said, right? They had the transfer situation at the university and the fact that Cox has had success at URI. It's not like this guy hasn't done anything. In his second year, they go 21 and nine. That's pretty good. You know, most people would like that in a program. And to say he's just on the hot seat after, now this is going to be the second, or no, it's a, it's one bad year. But look, they happen. And you can't just like ditch a guy. I just... It's I don't like short term view. You you're building a college program and you're not named Duke. You need to think long term. And three years just isn't enough to make a judgment. You got to give it four to five. That's I know people won't like that. That won't be a very reasonable take for some people. But I'm from Philadelphia. I see short term thinking at its worst. It is not the way <laughs> you want to go for for sports, especially in college. Yeah, you're you're not wrong for that for that reason. I'm I, I'm on I'm on your side with that. Like when you when you grab a coach, you have to think long term. And the the only reason I kind of can push back a little bit is because of the of all the transfers that left. Like look what happened at Wichita State, and I'm not saying that uh, David Cox is anything like Greg Marshall, right? Uh, but that was it's such a weird scenario to have like seven or eight guys like almost three quarters of your roster transfer um at the end of your season and i know some of those guys were uh d2 
Danny hurt Danny Hurley guys, but, and some of them, some of them graduated, but losing Jacob Toppin was that that's gotta be a tough one for that program, but I don't know, but uh, good for GW get off the schneid. Uh, They kind of just along with them and St. Joe's have disproved that uh, you can come off of a COVID break and still win. So we're going to move on to the last game of the not of the weekend, which was pretty expected, but very interesting throughout. Uh, it was St. Bonaventure getting a win 69 nice to 58 over Davidson. Uh, this was Davidson's technically their second game back because uh, they played St. Virginia of the woods on Friday <laughs> that was made up, but you know what I mean? So, um, Basically, Ke- uh, Kellen Grady and Hun Jung Lee had a really good game for Davidson, both 18 points apiece. Uh, Grady shot three of eight from three. Lee shot six of nine, which was actually very fantastic. But the story for Bonaventure was Holmes and Lofton. But I think the bigger story for this game for Bonaventure was that Osun got in major foul trouble in the first half, had to sit out, and they were still able to keep it, keep the keep the lead. Um, and Osun didn't get in any more foul trouble the rest of the game. Uh, I've talked about this with Petey a lot. Uh, St. Bonaventure seems like they have nothing going if Osun is out of the game with foul trouble or for any reason whatsoever. So he is kind of like the key because they have a lot of guards that can come in and do stuff. But Osun is kind of like the X factor, you know, he's the guy that can get all the boards. He's uh, really good down low. Um, he's a great defender. So if you don't have him in there, then you have to go with either Jalen Shaw or Alejandro Vasquez. And I mean, those guys are good in their own right, but they're not Osun. So it was very encouraging to see for Bonaventure to get this win. I'm pretty sure this is either a quad two or a quad three win. I'd have to check and make sure I did not know, but um, I'm actually going to look right now and see Davidson 78 on the net. So it will only be a quad three home win for St. Bonaventure. So it doesn't move the needle for them, but um, still a good win. So uh, Anthony, what are your thoughts about that game? So David Davidson is what the third team in the conference to come off a break play a division three school and then lose the next game. Am I correct? I think I'm correct in saying that. And I just want to point that out because I think we see that COVID pauses affect play. And so I think Davidson, I think in a real situation where Davidson is a little bit healthier, they actually give St. Bonaventure maybe a little bit closer of a fight, especially when, um, Asuni goes on to the bench and I, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing the name, but if, you know, if he gets in foul trouble early, maybe a healthier Davidson team can pressure him a little bit better than what they pressure the St. Bonaventure a little bit better than what they were able to do and maybe get a lead on their own. Right. Um, I really think that it's COVID pause that made this uh, an easier game for St. Bonaventure to win, but Davidson's still a really good team. I I'm not surprised though, by the outcome. I mean, St. Bonaventure needed to do what it, what it did. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, pretty standard game. It was really close throughout though. Um, you know, it, it wasn't like St. Bonaventure just, you know, just one by nine. It They kind of just wore Davidson down. 
And I think we kind of see, I think that's like the biggest thing about these COVID pauses and coming off of them is like teams, it's not necessarily just the shooting or just getting back out and playing basketball again. Like these guys have been playing basketball their entire lives. Like they could, they could stop for two months and come back out and they could probably ball out. The thing is the biggest thing I have noticed is conditioning. And we saw it with Richmond against VCU. I think we kind of saw it today with Davidson uh, just because Davidson really doesn't use that much of their bench. And today they used a lot of it. Um, Can I add something, Chris? Yeah, go for it. Real quick, just about conditioning, just because you're mentioning it. Their NBA players, they are talking about months later, were not recovered from COVID. So we don't know who tested positive for it on the team. If there was someone who on the team who specifically tested positive and if it, it's affecting their conditioning, but I guarantee us a, a former athlete as myself wh- who used respiratory every day when I went and worked out, if your lungs are messed up, it will affect your play. And so uh, there is just a hundred percent hurt your conditioning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but Daniel, what are your thoughts on this one? I mean, I don't really have a whole lot to add that I don't think y'all have said about this game specifically. The thing I'm very curious about is we have a pretty rare back-to-back here where it's not two days in a row. They have a couple days off, and then they're getting on the plane and flying down to Charlotte. Um, And they're playing again, what, I guess Wednesday night it is, at Davidson. Um, And I'm very curious to see how that goes because, I mean, look, on the one hand, it's like all the things that we said about Davidson their first game back – all those things may be true. We're going to find out on Wednesday how much of it was true, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, that's pretty crazy that they're going to play again. Um, I feel like this one, this next one is going to be the most important one for St. Bonaventure. Um, I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, it th- they're both important just because you don't want to lose a quad three game at home to Davidson, even though Davidson's a good team. It's But this one's super important because – this one could be a a quad one win for St. Bonaventure that desperately needs a resume builder. So we're going to leave it at that. And I'm going to really quick, uh, we're going to send it over to Daniel, who is going to update us on the seeds for what, after all those games that happened over the weekend, what the current seeds are for the Atlantic 10 tournament, if it ended today so daniel take it away so the first thing i need to say is i need to correct myself of what i've been saying on twitter the last couple days i was under the impression that no matter what was going to happen gw was going to finish 14th and i was corrected today that that is not the case that it is a most likely finish in 12th um so basically the one that any team that doesn't reach this magical 60 percent of the median threshold that we've been talking about they don't get automatically plummeted to the bottom, which is kind of what I thought was going to happen. They mix in somewhere in the middle based off their net ranking, which right now GW's in 12th place above Fordham and St. Joe's. Um, not, I don't really think there's a whole lot of room for that to change unless GW like blows out St. Bonaventure or something. I don't think there's going to be a lot of movement there. Um, so that's to me is what it's looking like. So I did the math today. So everyone besides GW is on track to basically hold like hold where they are right now um, in terms of everyone's going to get to that magical number. Uh, So as of today, with the games that have currently been played, the median is 12 games. 
60% of that is 7.2 games. Um, so the only teams that have not reached that threshold as it stands today are St. Louis and GW. Um, but St. Louis is going to be fine because they have, they're one of only two teams in the conference that have three remaining games instead of one or two. Um, so St. Louis is going to be fine as long as now, granted, all this is with an asterisk because write your conference, your game dates in pencil, not pen. I've been saying it the whole year because no one knows, but God willing, everyone stays healthy at this point on because we're really suck if someone went down now. Um, so the biggest thing is basically, unless you're a GW fan, you can kind of just read the standings up and down like normal. Um, so it's pretty straightforward in that regard. There's a couple different tiebreakers in play right now. Um, so we have a three-way tie technically at the top of the standings right now in terms of winning percentage. So you have St. Bonaventure, VCU, and UMass are all 75% win percentage. Um, St. Bonaventure and VCU split their season series. So they are one and one in that little group there. And unfortunately, because it would make the math a whole lot easier if UMass had played either of these teams, but UMass is not going to play either Bona or VCU this year. So I'm not exactly sure what the conference will do. Now, granted, this should work itself out because VC, uh, UMass plays um, at St. Louis this week. Uh, they play Richmond, I believe, on uh, either tomorrow, I think, or Wednesday. Um, so this will likely work itself out. Um, but technically, as of now, we're looking at Bona 1, VCU 2, UMass 3, Davidson 4. So that's your double buy situation right there. The other tie you're looking at right now is in terms of win percentage, Dayton and St. Louis are tied at 57.1%. Um, and even though Dayton has twice as many losses as St. Louis, my understanding is because Dayton swept St. Louis in their two meetings, that would trump any other type, type of tiebreaker that would go on there. Um, so that is that. And then George Mason, Duquesne, and GW are all at 500 right now. Now you can take GW out of that equation um, because of what I was saying a minute ago. So they're not going to count for those purposes. George Mason and Duquesne, because of course, COVID year, are not going to meet this year. So if they both go 500, I'm not 100% sure what the conference would do for tiebreaker because they will not face each other. Um, that said, I don't, there's a good chance that both those teams don't go one on one this week. Um, I'll say that. So that would make it certainly easier but they are both at six and six in the conference as well. Um, so that is that in regard to the current seating. Um, so basically just like to summarize all that, the current median is 12 games. 60% um, of that is 7.2. The expected median, which is assuming everyone that plays all the games are supposed to is 13.5 games. 60% of that is 8.1, which means if you guys are ahead of me doing the math, GW is 0.1 of a game off of making that threshold, but because they don't have that extra 0.1 of a game, they're going to get dropped down, which sucks for them. I know Jamie Christian from talking to him is not a happy camper about it, but he's also like, this is what it is. Um, so that's pretty much all I have to say in that department. I mean, this time next week, uh, we, how we should know pretty much everything in terms of who's going to be where, um, by this time, Monday night of next week. There you have it. If you have any other questions at him, 
Um, what's your what's your Twitter handle again? It is a bunch of numbers and letters. <laughs> yeah, I've had it for ten years, and I I've thought about changing it a couple of times, but at this point, I kind of committed. It is N one A two V three Y four. It's an old email I had from when I was in middle school because I was a big Navy football fan. I still am. I thought I was clever because Navy one, two, three, four was taken. So I was like, ah, I'm going to beat the system. And I made it my Twitter at like 10 years ago and I made the account. I've just kind of stuck with it for this long. I'm kind of committed to it. It's kind of my thing, I guess. But um, <laughs> there you go. Interesting. Interesting. So, I mean, I, I remember seeing your articles on uh, by George and you have like the to be frank kind of stuff. And I'm like, that's where your Twitter handle should be, honestly. But that's neither here nor there. Maybe I can convince you another day. Um, we're going to get into our one thing we're going to watch this week. I know we're getting a little long, but we had a ton of recaps, so I don't really care this week. I'm going to put timestamps on there anyway. So whatever, you can skip to whatever you want to hear. Um, Anthony, you, I haven't heard you talk in a while. What's your one thing you're watching for this week? As far, And by this week, I mean the Tuesday, Wednesday game. So, so before you get into there, uh, I'm going to just do the, I'm going to announce the matchups here on Tuesday. We have UMass in Richmond and we have St. Louis and VCU on Wednesday. We have Dayton, St. Joe's Bonaventure, Davidson, uh, GW and George Mason, and then Duquesne and LaSalle, because the next time we see you guys or you hear from us, we'll be on Friday for Friday 10. And we'll talk about the weekend games. That's what we're going to do now. We're going to do Tuesday and Friday releases. So with that said, Anthony, what is your one thing to watch for Tuesday, Wednesday this week? So I really wanted to pick the, the VCU St. Louis game, but because Chris and I have been doing this lovely show for so many weeks, I think the game that has to be most excited, I have to be most excited for, let me rephrase is Dayton St. Joe's. Chris's favorite Ryan Daly is going to is going to beat Dayton. St. Joe's is still deadly that look, hey, this team, when Ryan Daly's back, they're the team that pushes Kansas to the brink. They're the team that can put Auburn any day on the ropes. And I'm not going to say that they're world beaters, but the team is different when Ryan Daly plays and boy, can that guy play? So I'm putting Dayton on the watch for an upset. Everyone who is fans of a 10 basketball should be watching that game so that was mine that was gonna be mine too and the reason why i had i was very nervous that saint joe's was gonna win this game not only just because dayton has lost to uh stinkers this year let's just put it nicely um not only that but dayton absolutely sucks at hagen arena absolutely sucks uh, last year, obviously, was their first win at Hagen Arena since uh, the tw- 2001-2002 season. Uh, Dayton won at St. Yes. It was they that have- long? Yes, it was that long ago. Wow. And then, like, yep. And then before that, uh, Dayton had not won at St. Joe's since uh, 1966. And that's when St. Joe's was actually number five in the country, which is actually unfreaking believable. So, uh, yeah. So last year, Dayton won, obviously. And uh, I, just, I don't know. But I'm not going to copy yours. I just had that little st- tidbit. 
what I'm going to really look for is UMass. You know, are they going to look like crap or are they going to look good? Because we had this impression that teams that come out of a COVID break look like crap. And then George Washington and St. Joseph's ended up beating teams that had not been on a COVID break at all this year. And yet they were out on a break for about, I don't know, three to four weeks. So who knows? We'll just have to wait and see uh, how UMass goes. They travel to Richmond, a very tough opponent um, on Tuesday. Daniel, what are you watching for Tuesday, Wednesday? I mean, I got to be a homer here. I mean, the revolutionary rivalry has definitely lost some steam over the years. Um, I'm not sure truthfully how much it really matters to the players anymore, but it really matters a hell of a lot to me because I have a lot of GW people that will be giving me crap if GW loses or if GW wins. Uh, I also have a bunch of Mason people that will give me crap if GW wins. So, I mean, I'm kind of in a win-lose situation regardless. Um, but just from a strictly basketball standpoint, I think we got a really interesting just dynamic here of Mason coming off their biggest win of the season are uh, without a doubt and GW coming off one of their better wins of the season. And also that was their first game from their long COVID pause. Um, so from that perspective, I think it's going to be really interesting to see if Mason lays an egg. Does GW lay an egg? Did they both lay eggs? <laughs> I mean, I, you really don't know what to expect from these teams this year. Um, but I mean, I, I, I'm just excited for it. Uh, so yeah, Jibby Mason. Yeah, that'll be a good one, uh, at least for you. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I'll try and watch all these. Um, I'll absolutely be watching the Dayton St. Joe's one. Um, I do want to correct myself, though. Um, I, I misread it. Dayton actually did win at St. Joe's in 97. Um, but so like, yeah, before last year, the last time they won was in 2000, 2002. Uh, they beat St. Joe's. And then before that, they won in 98. And then they didn't win again. They did the last time before that was in 1966. So, but anyway, so yeah, um, that is all we have for this week's episode. Um, actually, after the music, I do have an interview once again. Uh, it is with Richmond starting point guard, Jacob Gilliard. So that was a lot of fun to, that uh, I got to talk to him and we basically hash it out about Richmond, uh, kind of how he's a defensive star. Um, I, we talked about Grant Golden's age and how old he actually is. So stay tuned for that one. Uh, but other than that, gentlemen, final thoughts. Anthony, what's your final thought for this evening? My final thought is we are gearing up for the A-10 tournament. This is the last week before the big I guess our big dance, even though the, the real big dance is in the NCAA tournament. So looking forward to teams wrapping it up, people solidifying where they stand in the conference. GW, we already know where they're going to finish. And so uh, it's going to be a great, another great week of basketball. Very much looking forward to it. Shit, Anthony, is, is GW going to finish right next to St. Joe's or <laughs> I'm thinking it's GW Fordham St. Joe's. It, it can happen. No, Fordham, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think Fordham might. I mean, we that's the other thing here, though, too. We don't know what the hell to do with Fordham because I've talked a lot about the Fordham woman. Fordham men may not be coming back either. So, I mean, we're yeah. now 
what, a week and a half away from the start of the men's tournament? Less than that. We don't know what's going to happen with the Fordham men. So that, I mean, we don't even know if they're going to play. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. So they made the threshold. They're going to make the fr- threshold. They already played like they, they played eight or nine games. Fordham has played. Let me pull this right back up. They have already played 13 games. And the A10? They Holy are 2 and 11. They're 2 and 11. Their two wins me. are what? Dayton and LaSalle, I believe. Yep. Fooled me. Yeah, I didn't realize they played that many games. But uh, my final thought is a pretty easy one. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at not underscore private pile. Anthony is at, I believe it's just Jelly Morelli, right? Jelly underscore Morelli. Ah, Jelly underscore Morelli. I love it. And then Daniel's got his like whole Morse code thing. So make sure you just look up Daniel Frank. But for the rest of us on A10 Talk, uh, I am Chris Pyle. Tune in for the Jacob Gilliard interview, and we will see you next time. Welcome. We are now joined by Jacob Gilliard, Richmond basketball star or one of them at least on that team you guys have a, you guys have a lot of good players man <laughs> uh but yeah how you doing tonight i'm good i'm good how are you hey not too bad man uh just you know just staying safe uh not you know not doing as much <laughs> just going going to work and uh coming home essentially kind of what you guys are doing right yeah yeah absolutely um, so, uh, let's get right into it. Uh, you guys, you guys have had a pretty good season so far. Um, you beat Kentucky at Rupp, which is hard to do matter, no matter how good or bad Kentucky is. We're not even going to go there with them. Uh, but you beat, beat a really good Loyola Chicago team uh, on a neutral court, uh, and beat Davidson on the road. Uh, they're a very good team. Um, you're sitting at four and two in the conference right now. So what's the overall feeling about, uh, among the team? Um, we're feeling, we're feeling pretty good. Obviously we feel like we can, we can definitely play better. Feel like we've dropped a couple games for sure. Um, but you know, I think we're, I think we're kind of, we're, we're, uh, we're feeling good. Um, for sure. Uh, kind of sad that we didn't get to play the St. Louis game. I think we were kind of really excited to get, get, get that game, uh, played for sure. Um, but you know, I think just coming out of quarantine, uh, we're excited to get back playing. Yeah, I, I'm excited to see you guys too. You guys are a lot of fun to watch. Um, but you you talked about those losses, and that's what I kind of wanted to get into. Not not to be a downer a little bit, but <laughs> we're gonna spin it a bit. All right. Um, so like losses to some lesser teams, like you know, it happens in college basketball, man. You see it all the time. Like Stephen F. Austin walked into Cameron Indoor last year and beat the beat Duke with you know, with a Rockas fan base, you know, there. Um, so it happens. Um, but, but spin zone, you guys have actually come back from losses and are four and O after a loss. So what can you guys like attribute to coming back after losing, you know, even games like against, uh, uh, you know, LaSalle and, uh, Hofstra, you know? Um, I think it's kind of experience. Uh, we're pretty senior, senior lead leaden leading. I'm not, Hey, don't quote me on that one. I think, (laughs) Uh, yeah, senior (laughs) lead. Senior led team, uh, for sure. 
Um, so I think we kind of we've been in situations like that before. Um, so me and Greg kind of just trying to keep the guys, Coach Mooney, um, just trying to keep the guys uh, calm and you know just trying to bounce back. That's all you can do. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean that that it it sucks to lose those games, but you know the season's not over, so you just got to keep trucking, right? For sure, for sure. Um, so you mentioned Chris Mooney. Now I I have. I watching Chris Mooney on TV and coaching on the sidelines. He seems like the most calm, cool and collected coach in the A10. Maybe maybe going along with like Anthony Grant cuz he's kind of pretty cool, calm and collected too. Uh is this an act or is he like that all the time? <laughs> uh I'm not going to go into uh detail about it, but um <laughs> you know, I I'm surprised that you said that. Cause I feel like maybe that's just like the, the TV perception. Cause I feel like uh, he's on us pretty hard. Um, I've heard similar things about coach Grant as well. Um, I've heard he's kind of the same way. He's really quiet up front, um, but he definitely talks to you a lot for sure. So um, I would say it's a, it's a little bit of an act, a um, little bit of the TV, but you know, he, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's always pushing us for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, he's a great coach. I mean, I've heard nothing but great things about him um, coming from like just fans of the, of Richmond fan base. So uh, that's really funny. Maybe it's the sweater vest. Maybe that's it. <laughs> I always think I'm always like, he, he's up for like, he's got to be like one of the best dressed coaches in the A-10. Like he has not worn like this, like all the guys are wearing like the quarter zip and just like some mm-hmm. slacks or something this year. And he's like, no, I'm wearing the sweater vest. We're looking good. <laughs> yes. <it's time. laughs> um, so do you guys think about NCAA tournament bids or anything like that? Like, do you talk about it or do you use it as motivation? Like, this is our goal, like keep striving for that. Or like, what, what is it like being on a team where you're kind of in the mix for an at large? Um, I think we don't really talk about it too much. We try not to really focus on it um, directly. Like it's, it's never really directly talked about, but I think, you know, everybody sees it. Uh, we all kind of, uh, we all see Lenardi stuff. We all see where, where people have projected us and, and where people are projecting other teams in the conference and stuff like that. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the goal is just in mind to get to the tournament, no matter no matter how we can get there. Um, we don't really talk about it too much, but it's definitely something in the back of our heads. Um, and I feel like that's the, it's kind of the same way for like pretty much all mid-majors, you know, that's like why you come to college basketball and try to make a tournament. So you're definitely going to be thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I never knew. Like, I was just like, do you guys think about it? Do you like see it? Like, does, does coach Mooney talk about it at all? Um, He's, I mean, I think last year is like the most he's ever mentioned it. Um, He mentioned it maybe after our, our Radford game or or maybe after our St. Bonaventure's loss, maybe probably both times after those games, but he was kind of just telling us after Radford lost last year that, it's a long season ahead, you know, um, can't be worried about this one too much. Like it doesn't mean that we're not going to make the tournament because we lost to Radford or whatever. And then after the St. Bonaventure game, I think he was more worried about Len- us seeing Lenardi stuff and having us out of the tournament. Um, he was kind of just telling us, you know, we're going to, we're going to win out the rest of the conference. Uh, you guys just got to stay positive and, and we'll, we'll get there somehow. Um, this year we haven't talked about it too much. It's kind of just in the back of our minds. Uh, everything else going on is kind of crazy, but you know, it's definitely there. Gotcha. Um, so moving on, you are, you're leading the country in steel percentage, steals per game, whatever you want to call it. Like you're basically like Mr. Mr. Steal your, (laughs) steal your ball in the country, in the country. Like, it's crazy to say. So what's your secret? Like what, (laughs) how do you do it? Like, how are you such an amazing defender? 
I get this question a lot, and I swear my answer is different every time. Um, but Sweet. I would say kind of just uh, just anticipation, uh, kind of just studying a lot of film and kind of seeing guys' tendencies, but um, just trying to read their eyes, kind of like a safety does, and just just go from there. Yeah. Did you play football? Nah, I actually didn't. I played in like I mean, I guess I played in like third grade, but it wasn't anything serious. Ah, uh, okay. I got you. Uh, it, that would have been interesting because, like, you know, like you use that football, you know, experience to do that. But eh, it's all basketball. Awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so you guys just recently scheduled a game with St. Mary's, uh, Maryland. So mm-hmm. um, it was interesting. And I had to think about it for a little bit. I had to talk to some uh, Richmond guys about it. Um, so what do you know, like the uh, thought into scheduling that game? Um, so yeah, he, he called me, but he called me before we had scheduled it and said he had been thinking about it, uh, just because the the first time, I mean, with how we play, um, it's a lot of precision, a lot of cuts, a lot of like, kind of just everybody yeah. being on the same page, stuff like that. Um, so when we first came out of quarantine, not an excuse for us losing to the Sal, but I don't think we really look sharp on either end. Um, and kind of like how you mentioned the tournament come or the tournament towards the end of the year. Uh, we're kind of in crunch time, you know. We gotta, gotta come out and, and definitely try and win both both BC games. Um, so I think he, I think we as a team, we're kind of just not wanting that to be our first game out. Uh, I'm kind of trying to get a warm up game in, a tune up game, just to make sure we're on the same page before we before we head in to finish conference play. Okay, cool. Because like that's exactly what I was told, and I wanted I wanted <laughs> to see give an open answer instead of just saying is this it, and you being like yeah. So yeah, I'm glad you said that because like. Yeah, and we kind of saw it with St. Louis too. Like right. they came out of the break, and you know they, I think, you know they were like number seven in the country in three point percentage, and they just, mm-hmm. I, I, I think they shot like thirteen percent against Dayton in that game. Like, ugh. But yeah, right. definitely, yeah. Especially, I think the first game would have been VCU coming out of the coming out of COVID break, right? Mm-hmm. It definitely been tough, uh, especially for how they play in the rivalry. Um, it just would have been tougher for us. So I'm glad we got a schedule for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I got a very important question to ask you. Probably the most important question. Be truthful <laughs> now, okay? All right. Okay. How old is Grant Golden? Like, actually, how old is he? <laughs> <laughs> you want me to ask him? He's my roommate. So I mean, I could ask him. but He's got to think... be somewhere near 30, right? Like, he's been <laughs> in this league forever. Like, we yeah uh it feels like he i mean i'm sure he feels that way but it's it's feel, it feels like he's been playing college basketball forever for sure especially with our team he's been kind of the focal point for for the past i mean every year i've been here um, yeah. but i think grant is is unofficial i think he's an unofficial 23 unofficial 23 okay we'll go with that i guess <laughs> but you've been in this league forever too man i think like did you start did you start like your freshman year i think you did your sophomore year right I started my freshman year as well, yeah. Did you? Okay, so that's why it seems like for fair. I, I think, like, the first game I saw you play it was at UD Arena, and, like, you just, like, lit it up from everywhere. I'm like, God, <laughs> this guy is going to be up, like, up Dayton's butt, like, every year. Like, oh, my God. But um, so with that, though, with the what seem, you've been in this league seems like forever – uh, you and Grant. So both of you guys are nominated for a, an A10 Talkie Award, which is like the Dundies uh, okay. that we're doing at the end of the season. Uh, you're both up for the uh, We've Been Here Forever Award. <laughs> so I hope he wins you, that before I win it for sure. 
Well, you're both nominated, so it's going to be a vote. So we'll see. We'll see who wins. But I, I don't know. I feel like Grant's the front runner for that one because he's just for like sure. everyone. Everyone on Twitter's like, God, Grant has been there like a thousand years, and I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I'm like, Gilliard's been there the same way. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was. I think he. I mean, anybody that usually wins a rookie award, so like him and Kellen, were both really good our freshman year. Uh-huh. Um, so it's it's automatically like those are the those are the two people you're gonna think about most just because how good they were as a freshman and then how good they've been since. So you'd probably just feel like they've been there forever. Yeah. <laughs> uh well that's all I got for you. Um thanks for coming out and taking time out of your uh COVID break <laughs> to do this, you know. Um, but it'll be exciting to see you guys get back on the court on Sunday, right? Sunday? Yes, sir. All right. All right. We'll see you then. Uh, Thanks for coming out, Jake. Appreciate it. Appreciate you having me.